And so our text for today takes us into the life of Moses. Moses is the figure we've been following these past few weeks. And we find ourselves this morning in the middle of a conversation that God is having with Moses. Now, if you remember Moses as leading the people, he has led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And they are now traipsing across the desert wilderness of what is today's modern Middle East. And it is anything but easy to lead hordes of people on a decades-long journey through the wilderness. And the people of God who were so grateful to have been freed from slavery in Egypt have very quickly found themselves distracted, worshiping other idols and gods. They're grumpy, they're complaining, they're argumentative. They have the audacity at one time to look at Moses and to God and say, you know what, it would have been better if you had just left us in Egypt This trip across the wilderness is so hard. They are a frustrating group of people, and Moses is exhausted by them. And when you read this text, you can see that God himself is at the end of his rope with them. He says this to Moses in Exodus 33, 1 through 3. Go up, Moses, he's talking to here, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you. Or I would consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God is basically saying, I am through with you. (laughs) If I were to go with you on this journey, Moses, I would destroy all of the people. I cannot travel with you people any longer. How many of you have ever been on a cross-country road trip with your family in a car And have found yourself maybe eight to ten hours into the journey and you get out at a truck stop and you say, I cannot do this with you people anymore, right? I mean, this is the sort of frustration, only clearly at a divine level, that is happening here. You stubborn, obnoxious, short-sighted people, I I will consume you. It will be the end of you if I go with you. And Moses in Exodus 33 says this, You have been telling me, God, lead these people But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, God, these people, this nation, these are your people. The Lord replied, basically, okay, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And Moses continues on. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else, other than your presence, God, will distinguish me and all your people and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, 
there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover with you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a conversation to be having with the holy, with the divine. What sort of communion, what sort of friendship, what sort of connection with God must Moses have had to engage in this level of conversation with God? And it appears, right, that Moses is able to persuade God to keep at it and to continue on the journey with the people of God. This is communion with God. This is a friendship, a relationship with the holy and the divine. And it is as accessible to us all these years later as it was to Moses. Then Moses was an ordinary human. He was a person just like we all are. So can we commune with God on that sort of level? Can we befriend God in that Way earlier in Exodus 33, we're told that Moses would speak to God face to face as one speaks with a friend. Friendship, right, is the art of being truly known, and despite what is known about us, being loved anyway. It is an absolute essential element in our lives. We feel great joy and encouragement when we find ourselves in the blessed company and the companionship of good friends. And we know how bereft and grief-stricken we feel when we've lost a friend or perhaps find our lives friendless when we had hoped it would be something else. I remember traveling on a road trip at one time with a neighbor. We had never traveled together. We were on our way to a sports tournament for one of our children. And we stopped at a gas station and I was filling the car up with gas and she went to get coffee. And she brought me just the right size, just the right blend, and she put just the right amount of cream in it. And I looked at it and I said, you know me, (laughs) right? You know how I take my coffee. You know how we spend time together. We're known by one another. We know the way this sort of simple expression feels. Culturally, we're drawn to fictional stories of enduring friendships. Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron Weasley, right? Frodo and Samwise. Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. The Atlantic recently ran a whimsical little poll asking people what fictional location they would most like to inhabit. And number five on the list was the bar at Cheers, right? Because what? Everybody what? Knows your name. People loved that show because they wanted to sit at the bar. They wanted to be friends with those people. They wanted to commune with them. There is something in our human friendships that is indicative of the divine. And our human friendships do so much for us, and they encourage us, and they inspire us, and they motivate us, but more than anything else, they give us a glimpse into our holy friendship and our ultimate communion with God himself, our creator. 
Our scripture for today is in a narrative where as the people traveled, they established what was called a tent of meeting. And the tent would be set up and we're told that every day Moses would go to the tent to meet with God, to commune with God. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents. And they watched Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, as meaningful as a lot of our friendships are, our friendships often can also come across quite casually. And what we don't want to do is give the impression that somehow communion with the divine is sort of Jesus as the buddy in your pocket who does everything that you would want him to do. I remember when I came to faith as a high school student, there were many years where I thought Jesus was just there to bless my agenda, that he wanted the same friends for me that I wanted for myself, that he cared somehow about my social circles, that he wanted the same prom date for me, perhaps, that I wanted for myself. I would think of Jesus, I would think of God as a friend like that. In 2004, the word friend became a verb when Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook. And for 11 years, we have friended one another. In August 24th of this past year, Facebook reached a milestone. On that day, they had 1 billion users online in a single day. That is one out of seven people on the planet are friends with somebody on Facebook. And yes, there's some good stuff there, but I don't know if that sort of friending is exactly, right, what Moses was doing in the tent of meeting with God. Jesus carries the idea and the conversation of friendship from the, New Test- from the Old Testament time into the New Testament. And of all the ways he could have communicated and defined the relationship he had with the disciples and with all of us. He could have called us servants. He could have called us leaders. He could have called us students, all sorts of things. What he chose at the very end of his days as some of his final words, he chose the word friends to explain the relationship that we are to have with him. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. This is a life altering, holy, majestic communion with God. This is for us the opportunity to know and catch a glimpse of the heart of God. And if we dare to go there, if we dare to go to that tent of meeting, if we dare to accept the invitation, 
of friendship from God, we will be forever changed. For then the things of God are known to us. And we begin then to act and to think and to move in this world on behalf of God and not just on behalf of our own agendas. I mean, this is complicated. If this was easy, we would not have to preach this sermon. We wouldn't have to have this conversation if this worked so easily for all of us. We're a distracted culture. I love a quote by Lauren Winner. She says this, God darts by, sometimes I notice. We have divine opportunities for communion and fellowship with God every single day. And so often we miss them because we are distracted or we are turned inward on our own lives, trying to make sense of our own journeys without realizing that God has something to say, that our great friend wants to guide us toward him. We're likely at times to see communication from God as a burden, perhaps. Even the natural world that exists all around us is God befriending us and having a conversation with us. And if we're not careful, we could see the beauty of a sunset, the gift of the end of a day as something less than a gift. We might be stressed because we ran out of time today to get everything done. And maybe we're angsty and angry because we ran out of daylight hours instead of receiving that moment as part of a conversation from God where he says, rest, my friend. Well done. Take a break. The day is over. We have opportunities every day all around us to commune with God. For some of us, religion can become rote, another thing on the task list, less than a relationship, more a set of rituals and routines. We have to go on Sunday because that's what we always do. It can be an unforgiving set of practices and beliefs that maybe inform the body, but don't transform the soul. A rigid subscription, perhaps, to a way of thinking that doesn't always bring us into the presence of God, but just becomes the next thing we do. And how do we get past distractions and routines into relationship? And I wonder when Moses went into that tent of meeting, what did he do? What did he do? Did he come to God and just lay his face on the ground in holy worship? Did he come with a list of words and concerns and phrases and just start tumbling all of his prayers and thoughts out to God? And then did he stop and catch himself in the presence of the divine? What was it like for him? What can it be like for us? What I wish I could do right now is say to you, here's three things that you go home and do and you will find yourself in the presence of the divine and in the communion with God that you desire for your life. And the reality is there's not three quick tips for this. But what we do know is there is a consistent set of practices and routines that are life-giving and that do bring us to that place. And they look different for every single one of us, but it takes effort on our half, on our behalf, to work our way into the presence of God. It takes prayer. It takes times of solitude and silence. Silence is so complicated in this culture. We live in a noisy era in history. How do we turn the noise off? How do we quiet the voices in our heads and the voices in our culture? And how do we simply sit 
And instead of speaking to God, let him speak to us. It takes a reading of the scriptures and the stories and the people of God to know what they experienced and what God's message to them was because it is the same for us today. We need to be the people of these practices so that we can put ourselves in the very presence of God. And we know when we read scripture, the ethos that oozes out of the pages of some of the characters we read, the stories of people like Moses and David and Esther and other wise saints and sages from scripture and saints throughout history. We know when we stumble into a prayer that is eons old, how that feels to the soul. We feel the presence of God in those people and in those places. And we wonder perhaps, how did they get there? It's a long journey. Lauren Winner, who is a writer and a professor at the Duke Divinity School, was talking about this in one of her books. And she says this. She goes, there's a woman I know in Arkansas. And she's a minister's wife and a minister in her own right. And she has a studio in her backyard and a piano decoupaged with old sheet music. And in her house is a door from every house she's ever lived in. And when she prays, I believe her. And she's the kind of Christian I hope one day to become. It's like the gospel and Jesus are so much in her that she doesn't have to worry about being a Christian anymore. She doesn't have to worry about it. She is just in that story and it is in her. At least that's how it looks to me from the outside. I'm sure she'd tell it differently, but that's how it looks to me. And I do expect it takes a very long time to get there. It takes a long time to get there. But it is a journey that God calls us to. And what a blessing to be a friend of Jesus. You feel the magnitude of that and the opportunity there. And the reality is that none of us will do it perfectly. And that's a great relief. Moses himself was not perfect. He was a man who was often frustrated. He had an anger problem so acute that it had rendered him at the end of his days unable to go into the promised land that God had given to them because he lost it at the end. And he still maintained his presence and his relationship with God. We don't have to be perfect. And the table that we are about to partake in the communion table is the reminder to us that this relationship, this communion, this fellowship with the divine is available to each and every one of us. And while we stumble and we trip, and maybe we've been on the journey a long time and have just lost our way, and maybe today this is the very first time you're engaging in a faith journey at all. What we know about relationship is that the reason Jesus gave us this table at the very end of his days is so that we could keep communing with him. We could keep relating to him and connecting to him and coming to this table to get renewed and restored and encouraged and nourished so that we can get fuel for the journey and head back out into our days strengthened in our relationship and our friendship with God himself. So this is what we will participate in, our relationship 
around the table. Jesus could have used any metaphor to draw us together, and he picked one of the most common, a meal around a table, so that we could relate and commune and befriend the very God of the universe himself. So friends, please, uh, let's pray together, and then we will prepare to come and receive the Lord's Supper and his communion and his fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your divine heart and your communion and fellowship with all of us. Thank you, Lord, that we do not need perfection. We simply need to be present. Lord, you have always been and always will be present to us. So let us now, Lord, remember that and engage in this holy sacrament in a way that reminds and restores us and brings us back rightly to our relationship with you. We pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen.